Hi everyone. I'm here with I have a ver a lot of very very old friends. Don't I, Lama Suryadas? Yes. Don't Emphasis we? Emphasis on old. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh Suryadas is here with me. Welcome to uh Mind Rolling. We haven't uh, chatted on Mind Rolling for a long time. And uh, you know, I haven't even told Suryadas anything about what's in my mind, what's on my mind. Um, no, but I can see, I can read your mind. There's no problem for a llama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you go know. on. Don't let me divert you. This is your uh, podcast. My no, logic. that's, uh, I, like, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, well, I've been talking to all of our old friends. There's, there he is. The source. It's your podcast. <laughs> the real podcaster in chief. Um, <laughs> So, Surya, I've been talking to a lot of our old friends about a couple of things uh, that uh, have intrigued me since I did a podcast. Uh, it was actually in, uh, you know, a month or so ago, uh, and it it was it turned out it was a podcast by with a man named Robert Svoboda. You may know who Robert is. Yes. And he did those Agora books, and his guru right. was an Agori. And the last of the three books, that the trilogy that he did, was around the law of karma. So that we did, it was absolutely um, an inspiring conversation that led me to start talking about it with all of us, all of the, our friends over these decades. And, um, and the other thing that we've been talking about is, is kind of started with Sharon... Uh, Salzburg, and it was around, uh, she was asked by Duncan Trussell, well, what do you do for your practice? And she said, I get up, I sit down, and I get real. That's what she said. So we've been going through getting real. So uh, I'm thinking now the series will be called Getting Real and the Wisdom of Karma. That's, That's at least it's a start. It's a starting point, right? So um, now, if if there's anything that more um, exquisitely, in my mind, and uh, you know, I uh, I am a complete neophyte around the subject, but I have some knowledge, probably through you and and others of our friends. But in terms of getting real, Dzogchen, that practice that you are so studied in would have to uh, be right at the top of the pecking order of, of things for us to delve into in, in terms of getting real. And, but let's start with, what does that say to you? What, what, how do you react to when I say, okay, what do you do to get real? Um, do we need to define getting real a little bit, by the way? I yeah, well, authenticity is a tough subject, so yeah. let's skirt that word. And getting real, I think, implies being straightforward and frank and direct and, you know, the opposite of like deceitful or manipulative or anything like that. Not to mention lying to others, but even self-deception or faking it and stuff yeah. like that. Um, well, how about real is, uh, is, is easier said than done. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, it's kind of relative. Yeah. Well, know? how about the idea? Just a, some simple things, you know, just uh, just to, to be able to be aware of the difference between our actual experience and the story we tell ourselves every day, every moment. Right. 
um, yeah. all these narratives that uh, all these motivations that that we have to really be able to identify them and not be carried away with them that that to me is is getting real an unadorned experience um, uh, not uh, where you're not judging and comparing and just what's happening now which why I thought of Zok Chen and you well thank you um, getting real if you want to talk about Dzogchen, you know, just in brief, the, one of the main Dzogchen sayings or pithy instructions is as it is, just as it is. So, you know, getting real means as is, hmm. like as it is, as is, at ease, as you are now. Not that you're perfect or need to be perfect, just as is right now. Seeing it as it is, hearing it as it is, you know, not as you are not through your own filters so as it is and then the practice would be more like leaving it as it is well the wisdom you're of talking about and detachment and then the spontaneous activity of uh, doing what's needed you know if asked if needed if called for not compulsively always doing the same things like uh, missionaryizing proselytizing regardless of who you're talking to yeah now you talk about filters which is what struck me just now, that is exactly we are, uh, in terms of for me, getting real is to get those filters transparent and not colored and by our projections, by our stories that we tell each other. So taking that and by emotionality, like seeing red or seeing green with jealousy, mm -hmm. you know, just metaphorically. So yeah. I call it just cleaning the schmutz off the windshield. <laughs> cleaning the cock off the windshield so you can see where you're going and you have a lot less accidents and if we're going to talk about karma then you have to say there are no such thing as accidents everything has a cause even you know car accidents usually there's a cause like heedlessness mm -hmm. you know mindlessness falling asleep intoxication distraction mechanical yeah. failure or something of course if an asteroid hits the earth we're not sure what the cause is but, um, you know, in the general scope of things we're talking about, what goes around comes around. And if we're seeing red and we wake up on the wrong side of bed and we're angry or we, want, or we have something else bothering us, like we're in pain, maybe, then we start knocking around and, you know, jam our toe and close the door on our finger. And then we curse. There's nobody to blame. It's just us being uh, aggressive and getting instant karma back, like uh, feedback from the environment around us, which we're in, you know, inextricably, inseparably part of. That's part of karma, interconnectedness, interdependence, interbeing, cause and effect. So tell us your personal approach to dealing with uh, the filters and dealing with uh, the projections. I mean, you sit down, you get up, you sit down. Um, well, why don't you ask me the question you asked Sharon so that we have what, a That's it. I'm saying, what do you do? You get up, what do you do? You what wake do, you up? do? Yeah. What do you do? So I wake up in the morning. Um, at this age, I, I try to get up. <laughs> waking up is hard to do. They say that waking up is hard. Anyway, hard to do. Uh, so I try to get up and then, you know, get out of bed. 
and um, have some coffee. You know, Sharon may have skipped a few stages. I don't know. And <laughs> have some coffee or tea and splash water on my face and further pursue the waking up process. And uh, then I sit down in my meditation room and light a candle and light some incense and bow three times and hit the gong and then sit down in my meditation posture and take a few deep breaths. Uh, still, you know, it sounds good, but this is still part of the waking up process. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. probably early in the morning I'm talking about. So, you know, it takes a while, but not too long. I'm glad I can do it at all. And it's a, it's a blessing and I'm well enough to do it. And then I practice a Dzogchen as it is. Mm. Yeah being real not just getting real just letting go of of, the, of everything that might be unreal and just right. be being as is leaving it as it is i know this is abstract but you asked me so this is a, this is a Chen practice as it is and if i'm falling asleep or distracted i do some deep breathing or some chanting or guru devotion guru yoga invoke the lineage blessings to kind of inspire me, raise the energy or the juju, the emo, you know, the emotion and devotion, uh, get my energy up and then I can let go more and just be as is and see it as it is and allow it to be as is and rest in the natural flow or the natural great perfection of things left just as they are. So that's what I do mm. in the morning. Right. And then chant at the end and go out singing and chanting and do whatever I have planned for the day, you know, work or play or uh, drive somebody to the airport or just like whatever anybody else does. Yeah. I mean, this weekend I was teaching a retreat at Garrison for teachers in Buddhist teacher training. And I saw Sharon yesterday afternoon who just came when I left, you know, we're like filling in. So that, that's what I do. I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent, but that's as it is, and that's part of the natural great perfection. So that's part of getting real and being real. Of course, you could take the other side and say everything is subjective. So what it does real really mean, in, especially in this era of alternative facts? But that's sort of a different matter. Yes, a very different matter. <laughs> but the alternative facts certainly come up in one's head yes, while one is getting real. Right. Many alternative facts, many yeah. projections that have nothing to do with the reality. Uh, right. You know, so there, there is that moment to moment for me. That moment to moment, getting real, is uh, the trick. Is is to have that little place inside that is allowing them to move on, rather than pursuing them and getting stuck in them. And yes. I, th I think that that is a, a huge uh, muscle to, to, and that's why practice is, to of strengthen. course, yeah, that yeah. muscle needs to be strengthened, the letting go muscle. Well, that's like the mindfulness and awareness muscle. We practice letting go, letting things come and go, letting be, and catch, we catch things we notice before they catch and entangle us. I think that's the secret that we attend, that we take the slight backward step so that we're observant enough to catch things as they come up in our mind before they catch and entangle and deceive us. Right, exactly. And I, so this, then you can let go and let come and go and let be and enjoy 
peace and harmony with things as they are and befriend everything that arises in the outer and inner and befriend and love yourself. Of course, it doesn't mean you don't enter into changing things or trying to refine yourself and be a better person and contribute to a better world. You do. But acceptance has its own great transformative magic. Just throw a little acceptance in as well as our great urge to make things better or different. Yeah, and we're actually in the midst of a uh, course that we're, um, uh, an online course that we've curated of Ramdas material for Love Server Member Foundation uh, that is uh, being issued by the Shift Network, and it's around uh, awareness into the trans in transforming difficult emotions and thoughts mm. and uh, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest thing you just mentioned is is befriending that the deepest part of who you are bef- bef- really getting to know that part and at the same time uh, not running away from the shadows and and befriending uh, negativity and suffering in a way that can help transform it so that is certainly is a big part of getting real as far as i know Yes, and that's wonderful. Uh, it's a wonderful course. Um, hmm. yeah. It's easier said than done to be, you know, face the uh, negativities or the shadow side or our deepest fears or you know perceived inadequacies, or et cetera. But it's absolutely necessary if we are truth seekers, if we are awakening and awakeners, if we're trying to uh, get real and be real along the way of getting real. You know, I always say in Dzogchen, being there while getting there every step of the way. So getting real, you know, being real, like really getting real, being real while getting real, authentically getting real. <laughs> so that, you know, it's like practicing the piano for a concert. You're not performing when you're practicing, but you're playing piano. You are playing and maybe even enjoying playing the piano as a, you know, practice, not just waiting for a performance. So authentically trying to get real. We're really working on ourselves and each other together and getting real. And if we're truth seekers, then seeing it as it is and is is the first step to then dealing with it. You know, perhaps coming to a diagnosis and a cure, if you want to use like the medical model, you know, endangered planet or uh, the uh, imbalanced society or unhealthy family or our own you know, unhealthy mental state or something. First, diagnosing it. And if we don't accept the diagnosis, it's very hard to start with a cure. Acceptance doesn't mean complacence or indifference. It could be the beginning of taking authentic, real steps in the correct, you know, fruitful direction towards a cure. I remember Thich Nhat Hanh when somebody said, Buddhism seems so pessimistic and life-denying. What is this about... Buddha's first truth is that life is suffering. And Thich Nhat Hanh said, Buddha said, of course, the unenlightened life is full of suffering. And yet we, there is another way of life and we can embrace the suffering joyfully. Mm, wow. That's there is another way of life, which right. is the enlightened life, not just in another life after we die. And meanwhile, we can embrace the difficulties joyfully. Mm. That's not that we wish difficulties and crisis on anyone, but it is part of life and being embodied in a human form and in this world of change, insecurity and deterioration. We're all a 
material things are um, you know changing and falling apart sooner or later. The world of impermanence that's very hard to deny. Yeah. Um, in in this uh, Robert's book, and I've been quoting different things with uh, our different friends and so on. Um, and he talks about dharma, and I think that that's an important concept for all of us to uh, get a practical application of and understand a little bit. And, and uh, of course, this, this comes from the Hindu Vedic point of view, so we'll maybe get you to... I think there's a terrific similarity. I mean, it all comes from the same... All from the same yeah. root. Yeah. Dharma, which some people mistranslate as duty, others as religion, and yet others as vocation, is really doing what you were born to do. Conforming to your dharma means following that path through life and performing those actions that best agree with you as an individual in the context of the environment in which you exist. Dharma is the universal law which makes a thing what it is. The dharma of the moon to shine, of volcanoes to erupt, of boats to float, and of hyenas to laugh. They do so, it's their dharmas to do so, not because they feel any moral obligation in that direction. A dharma is neither sin nor evil. It is simply non-conformity with the nature of things, a crime against harmony. Isn't that cool? That's well beautiful. Said. Yeah. Yes, very well said. Well said. I especially want to uh, highlight and pick out relevant to the beginning of our discussion, Raghu, about getting real and being real. Mm. Um, where he says that a dharma is not just religion or your duty, but doing what you're born to do. Yeah. And that's, I think, about authenticity and true vocation. Making a life, not a living, you know. Right. To thine own self be true, as Shakespeare said, and all that. But these are deep points. You have to know yourself to be true to yourself. And uh, be in alignment with yourself, in integrity, we might say in modern day, with yourself. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but in integrity with yourself and your values. And then, of course, that affects all your relations. So your integrity with the others, with your family, with your colleagues, and with the world, with the environment, and so on. It doesn't mean everything is perfectly in harmony, but it's it's more in line with how things could and should be in a, the better world that we all wish for, and which in fact underlies it all anyway in the timeless dimension. Yeah. Um. So that's why in Dzogchen we say, in the relative sphere, it's all karma. There's no one pulling the strings behind or above. That's the non-theistic Buddhist view. But in the absolute sphere, there's no karma because there's no duality. There's no cause and effect. There's no billiard ball hitting billiard ball. Yeah, that's for those of us that are uh, Maharaji, uh, that are Karmapa, that are Dugo yeah. Kensi Rinpoche. Yeah, and then they are one with their karma. They don't complain. There is nothing. They are aligned with themselves, and it's like transparent, translucent, transrealescence. Yeah. It's not just a, it's not just a transparent window. Yeah, it's exactly. It's like a crystal that can shine out so many colors, but without but being remain unmoved in that still clear center that you mentioned before amidst all the chaos. Yeah. I think that's an important point to have access to no matter how much we're moving or doing, moving and grooving or um, compassion and action, social service and so on. Yeah. 
uh, you know, I was just, <laughs> in terms of talking about the absolute, which is why I, I get a little bit, a little burr under the saddle when we talk about, there is no <laughs> karma. When you're in, you know, when there's the no I, there's, it's because empty. Oh, you. Yeah. But we are, but those of us that have not gone through that veil. And uh, so I was reading this thing of, uh, or working with uh, some Ramdas material uh, for another podcast. Um, so he said, so there are these beings uh, that um, they've evolved. So they go through the veil or what we were just saying. There's no I anymore. And they're complete. They no longer are here as personalities that are at the whim of karma Yet they are extremely potent and effective entities in the world, right? But the there's nobody the there. They're acting right. out of collective karma rather than individual karma. So they're acting out of the existential situation that elicits their response. I mean, is this described yeah. Maharaji or karma? You know, yes. it's absolutely right. And that's why they're spontaneous. They're not inert. Yeah. They could be ecstatic because they're so light and buoyant and free, not yeah. static. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But being that that is not true for uh, the greater part of our humanity, uh, then uh, I think it's really advisable that we have some idea of what we are, uh, you know, creating day to day, yes. moment, moment, moment to moment mm -hmm. and having that aware. I think that's, uh, you know, very, very instructive. And that's what the law of karma is all about, so that we get our hands on the steering wheel of our own lives, on the rudders of our ship, and we're not just superstitiously thinking people get sick from the night air like they did in the Middle Ages. They thought that or that somebody has a spell on them or they just have bad luck. They keep having car accidents yeah, right. or, you know, having bad relationships, which they keep finding and reproducing themselves so that we can start to be master rather than victim of circumstances and conditions not control freak but understand what causes what you know not just i'm sick because it's not fair how about your lifestyle and your diet and other things you know have contributed to the state you're in as somebody said i can't remember who it might have been abraham lincoln let's pick on him because he had quite a, a face he said something like, in old age, everybody has the face now that they've earned. <laughs> <laughs> he did? It was somebody like that who oh, had I quite see. a okay. face, <laughs> you see? Everybody has a face that they've earned over the dec many decades. Right. Uh, not so by good. accident, not yeah, just really. by genetics. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Oh, so here's a little something. And so in a way, we all have the life or the quality of life and mm. health and mental health and relations that we've earned, you know, earned. I don't want to put this as blame or deserved, but, you know, that we've in a way made. Sown, for sure. Sown, yeah. right. And so now so, we're reaping. Listen to this little thing. He, he talks, Robert, uh, in the book, the law of karma, which is one of the most profound and fiendishly perplexing of reality's axioms, is the law of cause and effect. The law of as you sow, so shall you reap. The oldest of the Upanishads expresses it this way. Truly, we become, one becomes good by good action and bad by bad action. This law is better known to most of us as Newton's third law of motion. 
Yeah. <laughs> For every action, there's an equal and a, opposite reaction. Right. A reaction yeah. in kind. Yeah. Equal and opposite, not just yeah. some other reaction, but exactly. equal. The mandate of this succinctly complex law regulates the potentially limitless, I love limitless, implications of every small act performed by every actor within the manifested right. universe, meteor, and microorganism alike. Everyone lives within the precincts of the ubiquitous law of karma, whether or not they accept its reality. Ignorance of this law is no defense in the court of cause and effect, as exactly. Lord Krishna declared in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Karma is the guru. Nay, it is the Supreme Lord. Uh, well, so yeah, that's great. beautiful. That's Isn't profound. It? Yeah. That's yeah. cosmic, macrocosmic and microcosmic. Yeah. That's the, every fine detail. But then the limitless implications of every act. And yes. that's, that's where... And not just act, physical acts, but word... Everything. So thought. Thought. I'm yeah. walking around now after I did this thing with him. It's been like six weeks. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, every day is, oh, my God, it's that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Trump comes up on the thing and the epithets, uh, you know. Oh, my God. Look at it. You know, just on and on, whatever it is. If This is all yeah. desire or uh, undesirable, too desirable. It's the these pulls. That's why I. Th that's why I love this whole thing of getting some wisdom of 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 the reality that we are entering into on a moment to moment basis, related to getting real and being real. And well, Buddha was a Hindu. He inherited the law of karma from the ancient right. Hindu scriptures, the Vedas, the Upanishads, and so on, the Gita, and all that. And he, you know, didn't invent that. And uh, that's why Buddhism has a sort of non-theistic approach, which you just sort of read out of the Hindu scriptures, which are theistic. That yeah. what did you say? Karma is doing everything. Nay, car, you know, karma is everything. They said no. Nay, karma is the supreme lord. Right. So that's you know Krishna, why yeah. these things aren't as separate as we as we think, because it's not like there's somebody deciding fair or unfair pulling the strings behind us. But that raises huge ethical questions, you know, uh, about bad things happening to good people and why good things happen to bad people and so on. And that's where Sabota brilliantly brought in, you know, there's not just individual personal karma. There's collective, collective karma. karma. Yeah. So is. like the environment may be polluted because of everything we're doing, not just because you don't, re you know, recycle. Right. And if you do recycle, that doesn't save the environment either, because what are your neighbors and the rest of the countries doing? So we're all in this together. We all rise and fall, sink or swim together. We're in the same boat. And that's important to realize. Yeah. It's funny because he says, clear thinking people may be disheartened and disgusted by the implications of karmas we perform for self-preservation, including our dogged rape of nature. These karmas stretch from the destruction of the wilderness to the swindling of our domesticated plants and animals to work for us for slave wages under savage conditions. We breed and propagate these species only to gobble them down with, every, with very little benefit to them or to the nature who is their mother. These karmas yes. teach us humans in turn to gull one another. Oh, God. And he goes on from there and, make, you know, and you, 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 I so easily identify with the Per, per, the pursuance of perpetuating 
exactly this, yes. even though, oh, I didn't mean that. I, you know, uh, so the, the responsibility factor in terms of what we're doing moment to moment is so, so very high. And, uh, and also, you consume at each moment of your life that portion of your karmic grain that is finally matured. Likewise, each of your self-identified actions or reaction shapes your future by seeding yet further reactions. Every individual being is a karmic slate of coming attractions and repulsions. Let's let's talk about identification and, and your experience and through the Dzogchen practice. Uh, that kind of self-identification, being able to move towards cutting that at the root probably is a extraordinarily important uh, aspect of, of uh, pursuing getting real. Well... Dzogchen awareness is a nowness awareness. So when you let go of the selfing process of remembering the past and your story and the future and your planning and then even the present, your identity and all, and you kind of let go of or drop or I could say forget, but you don't forget forever, you know, everything you think you know, then you're really not in time or in identity. So there's no karma, there's no conditioning. There's no cause and effect. That's the secret of as it is. That's like the the boat that's going down the river but has no um, rower or oarsman. There's an old story in Chinese in Changsha. If you're on a river and there's a boat coming and you start in the mist and you start shouting, let's say these are rowboats or canoes. You know, I'm not thinking of giant Queen Mary two. Yeah liners and you start shouting stop stop we're right over here and then you see the boats em and you get mad what's wrong with you and then you and you know you genuinely get mad and you're also the adrenaline rushes you, you know you're trying to stop them from crashing into you then you see that it's an empty boat then you're not really mad anymore you're just kind of miffed right so when you start to see this transpersonal not impersonal process of causation going on it puts a different light or perspective on your feelings and emotions and reactions and you can have a more principled response like you know it's just some litter coming down the the stream the stream and it's not some nincompoop who's drunkenly driving their you know rowboat into yours it's actually just like a, an unmoored boat yeah right and so empty of yeah, empty. Uh, that that's why the word empty comes in. It's actually there's no one to blame. Yeah. And so also, if you empty yourself a little, there's no one to blame either. There's just a karmic concatenation. Of course, that still we have to take responsibility for what we do in the relative sphere and our relative self. You know, it, it is still functioning. If I'm hungry, I eat, and it alleviates my hunger, not yours. So that's the relative self, but. So um, I think we assume responsibility for what we do and what the results are. Otherwise, it's easy to rationalize uh, all kinds of things, including like what you were saying before, being cruel to animals. We think they have no souls or selves or some people say no feelings. And, you know, there's a huge animal rights movement, not just PETA, great as it is. And I think that's very important to recognize all beings are endowed with this luminous divine energy or buddha nature as we say in buddhism this uh, the the light within and right to life right yeah do you, do you ever hear 
Karmapa 17th talk about, he says stuff like, if you're eating meat still, you're not on the path. So, uh, something as really striking as that. He made all of his Dharma centers go vegetarian, which is a huge thing because Tibetans generally yeah. ate meat on the high plateau there where things didn't grow. But now they're not there. They're in a world where there's plenty of other things, including refrigeration. Yeah. Not to mention vegetables and soy, you know, other ways to get protein and nutrients. And he tried to, he, he pronounced that all of his Dharma centers in the world would be vegetarian. Hmm. It doesn't mean they all are vegetarian, right. but he's pushing for that out of his kindness to animals, his sense of universal responsibility for the environment, and uh, his care about the endangered environment and all the waste and all the hungry people that don't have food while a lot of it goes to animal to feeding animals a lot of the corn and wheat and so yep. you know goes to feeding animals when there's so many starving children and and tens of millions of people starving every day in the developing countries yeah. by the way everybody out there listening please do look up uh, his holiness the 17th karmapa who's a young man he's a, maybe 32 years old, three, something like that, um, and a highly um, active social activist, aside from being who he is as a tulku of the 16th Karmapa, who... Yes, uh, here we have a picture of my guru, the 16th Karmapa, who many of us studied with in India, the head of the Kagyu meditation yoga school of Tibetan Buddhism. Right, who... Uh, Yes, many of us met, but Surya actually uh, spent quite a bit of time with and studied with. And uh, But the 17th, in terms of this next generation and the kinds of responsibilities that we talk about and talk about karma and the creation of karma and what he's doing to turn <laughs> turn a tide in a big way. I mean, this the, the whole idea of meat-eating and, and, and people from Tibet... And turning that is as a gigantic statement, and he has a lot, a, a number of them that he's been making and and really working with. But uh, yeah. yes, also you ordained uh, a bunch, a lot of nuns, and gave them full nun ordination, so women would be uh, equal to men in Tibetan Buddhism, which has been a struggle for some centuries, just like in the Catholic Church and elsewhere. And he's a a wonderful, a realized being and a light in this world, and still young. So uh, there's hope. He's actually in New Jersey right now and going to teach in Queens January 28th. Oh, you, can, really? you, you can Google him. Google yeah. Karmapa. Yeah, if you can, g please do go to it. I mean, you've spent time with the 17th? Uh, yes, yes, I know. Yeah, and I've spent a little bit, too, and actually hung out with him. Uh, and, and I just, I've told this story before, before but... Uh, just when at the end of just hanging out with him in his uh, hotel room in Washington a few years ago with Sharon and a couple other people, Christian Das, uh, and he just he was thanking me and he grabbed my hand to thank me, you know, in palms in a namaste get gesture. And when he did that, I w went in. I'm, uh, first of all, I I realized, holy shit, whatever it is they talk about going from one <laughs> body to another. Whatever that is, we—it's a mystery. We don't know, but I—I yeah. I here it is. I here it is, right in front of me, because I was with his predecessor only once, but it was at a very major black hat ceremony in Los Angeles, and I completely got that without understanding it in my head at all, and then I was gone for 
at least a couple of hours. I mean, I could, I, I just automatic whatever into some other state for a while. And, uh, yeah, he's something. So, uh, which brings me to the next subject, by the way, which is, um, you can't talk about karma without talking about reincarnation. So that's what they say. Yeah. And that's tricky because not everybody believes in that. But uh, I think it, what it is about is the, the bigger ecology of being like we didn't just start when we popped out of mommy's womb. We were there a month before. We were there five months before. And we don't just end when we take our last breath. Maybe there's still brain activity. There are near-death experiences and returners. You know, maybe maybe you can not breathe for two or three minutes and still be alive. And so it's hard to know where these indefinable things like our light body or a clear light uh, spirit or aware mind is and how it comes and goes so that naturally as voltaire or one of the european wise guys said a long time ago i don't know about many lives but isn't it equally amazing or miraculous or kind of preposterous to just believe there's just one life that we just popped out of nowhere and then go nowhere isn't that equally preposterous yeah so that just opens the field for further inquiry. But the notion of karma is because it's individual and collective, whether we are reborn in the way that we think, you know, just like changing your clothes and, and, and the next day, same person goes on, or it's a much more mysterious process of luminosity and like body English that continues like a ripple in a current going downstream where all the water molecules may be changing, but the ripple in the current continues to be a discernible force going in a certain direction. I think that's a not a bad understanding of rebirth, that what we've set in motion now continues, just like our genes continue down through the next generations. Uh, um, you know, looks and appearance and hair color and um, some other of our um, attributes. And perhaps even the law of karma that was thought up 5,000 years ago, something goes on beyond this life. Maybe it's an early uh, guess at the notion of genes and chromosomes being passed on from generation to generation. Who knows? Hmm. Here's, uh, here's a good thing. He said, the karmas that you perform in dizzying number, think of all the things you accomplish in the space of an hour. They grow and mature at different rates, making one lifetime insufficient for you to experience all their, all their effects, mm. unless, of course, you happen to be immortal. Karmic theory, therefore, proposes that <laughs> beings die and are again reborn, reincarnated to continue working out pending reactions. Pending reactions. I love that. Eh? <laughs> There's a big pending list on a day-to-day -day basis. I know. I was going to say, it depends how you look at it. Is it the sword of Damocles hanging over one's head because yeah. of all of your naughtiness? Or is is it just, you know, being responsible for what we've done? Like, well, I've taken on the habit of eating too much and not exercising enough, so I'm overweight. It's not a sin. It's just not the healthiest thing. So I'd like to do something about it, but it doesn't consign, consign me to a bad, you know, end or it, it's just not that healthy. And I think that's a very practical and rational analysis of the law of karma on like a physical level and then take it to the level of mental health, to how you think and what you believe and whether you're, you know, positive or negative to yourself and to other people, then puts that body English in, in motion and you uh, have that kind of 
attitude. You know, we can recondition and decondition our attitudes as well as our minds. In Tibetan, it's called mind training or attitude transformation, low jung, as in the yeah. mind world tradition. Very important yeah. that we can become less selfish and more self-accepting and self-loving and then other-loving. This low jung, which really means like uh, attitude transformation or heart-mind training or um, reconditioning yourself like uh, mental health development, it's really a matter of intention and attention. And we start to like think about others as well as ourselves and also practice self-compassion and look into the balance between things like greed and need, how much we want, but how much we need. And we can become a lot uh, simpler and things become clearer to us and uh, we're less selfish. You start to look at the downside of selfish narcissism or competitivism or, you know, thinking of self to the earth and start to empathize or you learn to feel what others are feeling and then be moved by them and see they suffer or they need or they loved ones uh, and their land just like ours. And um, you s- the secret of it really is seeing yourself in others. Mm. They want the need and feel just like you do or your loved ones and children do and parents. And see others in yourself, like even the things that you don't like, like how can those people of that other religion be so dogmatic and think they're right? And then you see that in yourself. Yeah. Like, of course, I'm doing it my way because I think it's right. Maybe I'm not as dogmatic, but there's a part of me that is, you know. So the Toys Are Us slogan works for me. You know, they are us. That's part (laughs) of American Lojung. To recognize they are us. And if you can see things through their eyes, if we were brought up the way they did, we'd probably be, you know, voting their way instead of our way. And that's called exchanging self and others or equalizing self and others. And that's a great way to oneness, to go beyond the us and them gap. Mm. Yeah. To yeah. see through the illusion of separateness and to love even those you don't like or agree with. So instead of falling apart and breaking apart, we break together. We can tolerate diversity or agree to disagree. We break together, not break apart. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, uh, I mean, we and then all... there's more more room for love. Yeah, a lot more room for love and caring and and sharing and mutual reciprocity and not just competitiveness or collecting all the marbles. And I think that that'll go a long way today in towards justice and equality in this world, where it still seems the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Yeah. Attitude adjustment. That's what we all need to be shooting for here. We absolutely yes, need yes, a collective... Yes, teacher. Eh? Yes, dad. <laughs> yes, teacher. Cool yeah. teacher. Yeah. Um, Buddha also used the term karma specifically, this is uh, our friend Joseph Goldstein, referring to volition, the intention or motive behind an action. Karma is volition because of the motivation behind the action that determines the karmic fruit. And I, I, that, yes. that is one, another extraordinarily for, important point for me that we, we should share. Uh, 
or yes, motivation. Intention. Yep. It's not just about action. Of course, intention is also not enough. They, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, just meaning intention is not enough. But the Buddhist teachings say there are four parts of karma. There's like the impetus, the intention or the impulse. Then there's the action itself. Then there's whether the action is completed or not. And then even if it's completed, if you regret it, it mitigates or it starts to change your attitude about doing it again. If you rejoice, the fourth part is if you rejoice in accomplishing that karma, good or bad, then it like reproduces itself again. So it's not just about the intention or the action, but a combination of all that. So if you have things that you regret by regretting, repenting, you know, thinking, being sorry, then you start to feel not to do it again. It helps you not to do it again. If you're proud of it, and you you know you like rejoice in it and you 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 revel in it then you're more likely to do that again that's why in buddhist practice we after we meditate or pray for someone we 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 say may all who are afflicted like this share in the merits of these good deeds hmm. so we rejoice in it being done and, and share it with others so it's like putting a drop of water in the ocean it doesn't just dissolve just dropping that little water of positive deed that we did on the ground, it'll just dissolve. And similarly with negative actions, if you re rejoice in getting away with stuff, then you keep probably try doing it again, you know, getting away with criminal or other activities. But if you regret it and you see that it actually harmed the, the, the people, the victims, then perhaps you have a leg up on reconditioning and deconditioning those harmful negative impulses and unwholesome acts. So karma has various parts. And that's why we, we believe and feel that nobody is irrevocably um, uh, beyond help. Anybody can be rehabilitated given some kind of rehabilitation program. Our American prison system may not be that great at its record of rehabilitation, but spiritually speaking, we try to uh, judge or um, not condone, uh, you know, judge the evil action, the so-called sin, but not the person, the sinner. Right. We still relate to their uncorruptible, perfect, uh, lumin, you know, uh, uh, pure spirit underneath it all, so that we believe that that. Ramdas would call it soul, is untarnished by the schmutz and kaka that is thrown on the windshield, uh, you know, of their vision by their messy, muddy, mucky lives, but that the soul, it remains untouched. And that's, again, the absolute part where there's no karma. Yeah. Unborn and undying, endless and deathless, you know, so Lord Krishna can tell Arjuna, do your duty, you know, lead your soldiers, Fight your clans. This is what you know, I'm doing. It all. Your 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 soul is clean. You know, it's scary though that when you talk about the kaka, as soon as <laughs> I hear that, I go, "Where did he get that?" The kaka. Your father. Puts <laughs> in kaka. They're like Yiddish words. I don't know. Puts in kaka. It's terrible. So yeah, everybody, cease and desist. With yeah. promulgating schmutz and kaka, and you will be okay. This is the yeah. uh, essence of our talk around 
getting real and you don't uh, want to you don't want to step in the schmutz and kaka and have it all over your windscreen then you can't see where you're going in yeah. accidents yeah that's probably the most essential uh truth and and putting it all into perspective in a in a very <laughs> a light and funny way well and that's why so many traditions talk about purifying and negativities defilements and all these things but it yeah. all comes down to the obscurations yeah Yiddish schmutz and kaka on your glasses or can on we, your, your windshield. Can we call this podcast getting uh, getting beyond schmutz and kaka? I think so. Yeah. Oh, God, thank you for being here. Sir. You're welcome. That's so great. Um, by the way, everybody out you there. Thank my father and our uh, father. Yes, right. Raji. And, you know, all, all of those who have come before us, we sit in the laps of giants, in the embrace yeah. of giants. Yeah. And we're lucky, too. Yeah, we are really. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, now, uh, go to uh, what's, the, what's the website? Because I want people to be able to go there and be able to access your books and talks. And Yes, on. thank you. My website is surya.org, S-U-R-Y-A.org. I also have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and my Zogchen Center, D-Z-O-G-C-H-E-N.org site. Uh, I have a landing page. Anyway, if you Google my name, you'll see my 15 books, my chant CDs and yoga videos and podcasts and other things. I have my own Awakening Now podcast here on the Be Here Now network, etc. Yeah, by the way, check out Surya over the last... Uh, time we we asked him to and he put together there's there's something on dilgo kensi rinpoche which many of you may not have heard of this great lama um my one i have to say favorite couple of three lamas in the world i love him so much talk about getting real there's nobody yes. who gets it down to to realness than Dilgo Kenshi Rinpoche and Surya did a podcast on him. Uh, who I showed uh, pictures. There may be video. Who can remember? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Old stories. Yeah, but uh, check it out. Okay, Awakening Now, Surya Das on Be Here Now Network. And again, thanks for coming in. And thank you uh, very much. And being part of this, getting real. Getting real. Getting Beyond real. The and Taka. Beyond the schmutz and kaka, and uh, <laughs> using the wisdom of karma to do so. <laughs> all right. See you all next week on Mind Rolling. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and check everybody out. Okay. It's, uh, it's, we got a lot of great stuff there. And, uh, and do uh, uh, subscribe to the different podcasts and do uh, leave some nice comments that will encourage other people to share. And uh, we shall see you next week. Namaste. Love to one and all. <laughs>